Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right. Jana Spangler, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Really good. Uh, Really excited about today's conversation. You and I talked a week ago about... One of the things that we wanted to cover at some point, really you, because this is your your field, is integral theory, which ties into this other word, spiral dynamics or phrase by Ken Wilber. And uh, I'm familiar with it. And I think it's deeply helpful to human beings, especially folks who are trying to understand why people they care about believe differently or frame differently within belief systems. And then as people are deconstructing, um, the first model I came across was stages of faith by Fowler. Mm-hmm. And it really is so limited to a specific arena and then getting into all these others. I think Ken Wilber has done a gorgeous job of taking the truth from a bunch of them mm-hmm. and putting it into one map so that we can see how all these things affect us. And today, Jana uh, is going to help us run through some of this so we can get an introduction to integral theory. Yeah, which which I love, and I love integral theory, and it is extremely complex. It gets really complex really quickly. And so, you know, we could, we could literally give like a four-day seminar on this pretty easily. And so thinking of how to introduce this in um, kind of a way that will offer something helpful to people. So um, given that this, we're no nonsense spirituality, I I will probably highlight some of how spirituality comes out Mm. in integral theory. Um, That'll be the focus. But um, what I wanted to do is just kind of do an introduction to the maps that Ken Wilber uses. So Ken Wilber is the one who uh, came up with integral theory. And what he was really trying to do, he's kind of a map maker. He, he sees himself as a storyteller. He wants to tell a good story about human development and, um, and not just that, but like really everything that exists. So he's trying to look across the lines of philosophy, religion, science, psychology, like really everything that exists and try to make a map that can actually tell us something about those Mm -hmm. things. And these are all the things that get really confusing to people as they start to um, expand their spirituality beyond what they were given growing up. And especially in the U S especially in the Western um, Christianity, there's a lot that um, gets very confusing. And so the maps that he uses, I I've pulled out a few things about each one that can help us, uh, make sense of where we are and what opportunities are there for further development. Yeah. Just like driving on a trip. I mean, maps are helpful, right? They, they show us the territory. And I remember when I, when I first learned about stages of development and I was uh, at the forefront of those around me 
at thinking about my religious system in a new way and beginning to kind of encounter what was truths outside of my system that uh, I had never felt uh, able to trust before. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as we're having, as I'm encountering these stages, they were so helpful to me. It gave me a way to go like, Oh, I'm not crazy. I'm just moving into some space that most of the people around me haven't moved into. And hence it makes sense why we would see the world very differently or Mm -hmm. frame our beliefs or our perspective or how we think about things differently. Um, this stuff is really helpful. Absolutely. And and just a couple of, of disclaimers, just going into map making. There is no perfect map. The, the, you know, I love the, the saying that only the mariner knows that the map is not the sea. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the territory. You know, you make a map detailed enough to explain everything. And now it's not. I mean, just live it like there's there's no point in having a map. You have to simplify it. So not everything falls into this. Ken Wilbur definitely has his own issues and, and problems. He's a man. He sees things through his way, right? right? But it, I find it to be a really helpful starting point and, you know, use it for what is is good and let the rest go, you know. So I, I'm definitely not here as a Ken Wilbur follower saying this is it. This is the way. This is an interesting way. Yeah. And it's one that's been very useful to me in my coaching. I'm an integral coach. So if anyone, everyone's always asking me, what is an integral coach? Well, I actually use these maps in um, the way that I work with people to for opportunities for growth and development. And um, so. I love it. So take us, yeah. uh, take <laughs> us where you want to start. Okay. Um, so I will just say that the spiral dynamics piece, that is one piece of it. And I'm going to just introduce five different kinds of maps that uh, Ken Wilbur works with. And we'll get to that in the second one, but I'm gonna start with a different map, which is his quadrants. And it's called a qual, which means all quadrants, all lines, but it's his it's his quadrants. Um, and we've got a little, yeah, a visual for this. So um, if you're watching just the audio, you can, you can look up Ken Wilbur or integral quadrants and, um, you can, there, there, there are a lot of visuals out there that you can see for this. Um, so what he has in this quadrant is he has in the top two quadrants, those are both individual or that those are both individual quadrants. So this is the individual experience. The bottom two quadrants are collective experience. So in, um, and then the left side of the quadrants, those are both dealing with subjective experience. And on the right, they're dealing with objective experience. So um, we can look at this in a way, the upper left, and this is these are the very technical names he gives to the quadrants, upper left, upper right, lower left, <laughs> lower right. <laughs> um, so one of the, the big um, framings from philosophy has been the I, the we, the it. And um, there's also been um, the true, the, the good, the beautiful. So those are two framings that are a good entry into understanding what these are about. So the upper left quadrant is about subjective personal experience. Those are our thoughts, emotions. You can see here, memories, states of mind. It's, it's all of my interior and, and what my experience is of being human, right? Um, 
the lower left takes that subjective experience and now it's it's doing it with a group um so what's the meaning what are our shared values um how do we understand one another what's the language that we use to connect um on the right side on the upper both of these right side these objective this is this is the realm of science this is what we can objectively know in the world um this is it, it incorporates like the material body of things what's visible what's measurable um and then when it gets into the lower right we're talking about that objective experience but we're talking about that in systems so how how can we validate exactly what is going on in the system the structure the network it's the technology it's the ways that these um these things touch each other in an objective way so one of the, the things that I see happen when people start questioning the way that they were raised, we don't, we don't understand that these different quadrants exist and we conflate them a lot or we, we become reductionist and reduce all experience to one of them. And I see all of these tendencies all over the place with different people, right? So for instance, many of the Western religions will uh, say that your subjective inner experience an experience with the spirit or whatever can tell you what is absolutely true, can tell you what historically happened around the time of Jesus or Buddha or whatever, right. you know, that, and we conflate these a lot and get really confused when we get more objective ed evidence that conflicts with what our inner experience we thought was telling us was truth. So one of the things is we have to look at what are the validity claims in each of these quadrants. So on the right side of our objective experience, that's going to be scientific materialism. That's that. That's the realm of scientific materialism. It's what we can know, what we can know in the material realm, what we can test. The 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 validity test for the subjective is. Is truthfulness. So if we're looking at truth, objective truth on the right side, we're looking at truthfulness in the upper left quadrant, right? Do you do you believe me? The only the only test for my truthfulness is what I'm able able to and willing to share with you. Then you have to decide: Am I being truthful or not? And sometimes our truthfulness is even hidden from ourselves. The self often has a hard time understanding the self. Right. So just FYI, Britt's yeah. thrown up on the screen. What would be the yeah. root reason why someone would cling to the subjective in the face of the objective fear of chaos? Mm. And it, it, it strikes me that when you agree in a group to collectively, Thomas McConkie once said this, mm. if you collectively hallucinate, right, we're all collectively <laughs> hallucinating in a group. Mm -hmm. We we've created a narrative or a story by which we base our, unified uh, agreement on mm -hmm. and when facts come in conflict with that of mm -hmm. course we're all going to feel cognitive dissonance right and some of us as she points out fear of chaos some of us are going mm -hmm. to go to the narrative of the system and trust it over the facts that are coming in that run against mm -hmm. it absolutely uh, and i would say a big thing if fear of chaos is one i, I also think loss of meaning is a huge one mm, right yeah. because that's the way we've made our meaning and that's an upper left move <laughs> um and so if something 
is is threatening it on the right, we have a very hard time. Most of us have preferences of which of these quadrants we're happiest in. You know, we might choose our career based on it. Um, the way that we make meaning in life, it, it we we have. So there are people who are much more comfortable in the subjective realm, and there are people who are much more comfortable in the objective realm. And sometimes we think those things are so separate. They do need to stay in their lane. And if we can bring on more of a both and way of dealing with this and recognizing which competencies, which things we want to accomplish are best done in which con uh, which uh, quadrant, we there can be a lot less confusion about what we're doing. Yeah, right? engineers and poets might disagree on what's important in life 100%. or how we could know that there is good or bad because one is trained to measure the observable world and the other one is trying to deal with what's going on in the inner world. Absolutely. Yeah. And so as we, we describe like the, the lower left, the validity claim for that one is justness or appropriateness. It's how do we treat one another, right? So if you look at the truth, beauty, and goodness, truth would be the realm on the, on the right, the objective truth. The beauty is the upper left, that's subjective, individual experience, and then goodness is more the bottom left. And what, what the philosophers are all saying is we need them all. We need a balance of all of them. We get too much to one or the other, and something suffers, right? Yeah, this reminds me, too, that we all come to a shared experience with differences, and one of those differences is a difference in values. And sometimes we wonder why somebody seems to both be adamant that their point of view is right mm -hmm. and that they are doing the right thing in the world. Right. And yes. we also think the same thing, but we are in complete opposition with their idea. Right. And it often comes down to the fact that values or uh, in this instance, quadrants that we are coming from a spot that we value one of these quadrants more highly than the other person. And they value one of these quadrants more highly than us, at least That's in right. that experience. And now That's you right. can start to sense why we come to this moment with differences that are insurmountable perhaps. Yes. Yeah. And, and one of the things I see is that when um, we have built a subjective inner meaning world on a particular structure that, that is, we think it's one way and then we learn it's something else. We really get a lot of internalized trauma around the subjective world. And a lot of us retreat to the objective world because that feels more stable. Yeah. <laughs> right. feels a lot more stable. I can prove that I'm on, I'm on good ground now and you can't prove me wrong because yeah. you know, our, our egos that are really upper left, they want to appeal to that upper right or the lower mm. right to, to prove our point. And we're all trying to prove our point from that. But then we don't even recognize that is the subjective I that is interpreting whatever is over there in the object, objective it. Mm. And, and one of the things we don't want to recognize as people is we don't want to recognize that there is no one who has ever lived who can totally see all of the objective or subjective at the same time. So a lot of people like to reduce the subjective that that doesn't have anything to do with underlying reality or truth. It does. It just 
we are very limited on the piece that we can see. It's it's the parable of the Buddhist parable of the elephant and the blindfolded men that are all holding some uh, some piece of it. And our subjective experience can tell us a little something about truth. It just can't tell us everything about truth, and it's not verifiable. So we have to be have some humility with it. Yeah, in the objective. Mm -hmm. uh, we would like to imagine that we all could get together and look at it and maybe not agree. Cause I think that's near impossible mm -hmm. on just about anything, yeah. but that on some level there would be an acknowledgement that we're all sort of seeing the same thing. And if, even if we interpret it differently, yes. but when you get into that subjective space, it really is every human being has got this entirely foreign alien experience going on inside their bodies and inside their head from the next person. And you sort of have to trust other people to describe their experience with language, which always falls short. And yeah, so one is, but just by the term subjective, one is kind of mm -hmm. wrestling with very different things going on in everyone. Objective mm -hmm. is, Hey, we all are sort of experiencing the same thing. That's right. And in the, we, in the, in the, in the lower left, we have to have a lot of humility. Like it's, it's actually a miracle when we can come to a meeting mm. of the minds with somebody else, <laughs> given that all the differences of, of experience and, and knowledge and understanding that all of us go through, um, the, the protectedness of the ego, the protectedness of what's going on inside us. It's actually a miracle when we can have some sort of understanding in the lower left, we, <laughs> And yet it's something that is so, um, so much a part of our wellness is to be able to have that community, to be understood, to be heard, that when we insist on it all being the same story, then we're, we're always going to misunderstand one another because no one's having that same story, right? We really yeah. have to work and use humility and listening and understanding and calm all of our ego fears to be able to meet in the we. Yeah. And the nature of human beings collaborating for the sake of survival mm -hmm. required that we all collectively compromise to some median of values, meaning language, you know. And so we come to these moments where we go like, I, I, I'm not exactly on board, but for the sake of all of us moving on and surviving and perpetuating the species, we will, again, as he said, collectively hallucinate that we agree on these things when it never really was true on some level. Like it was, it's not, and, and on some level it is, right? We're human beings and we are, we are a species unique from every other species. And that's right. Yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling. Yeah, and we'll no, and we'll and we'll get into how that is true in some of the other maps because obviously he he has more maps than just this one. But this is a really helpful, I think, for two things. It helps us kind of keep straight in our head the the different realms that exist, and and let science be science, let inner experience be inner experience, let meaning be meaning, and how can we integrate them? in those responsible ways um, so that we can see all dimensions of whatever, whatever it is we're working on. You know, if you're, if you're a business manager, historically that has really lent itself. We really want to focus on the, the right quadrants to have a successful business. We, mm. we want to know what's going to work, what systems are going to work. And that's important. 
people are now starting to recognize this need. They're bringing in people to do Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and other things to kind of look at, at the, the left quadrants and how they, they apply. But, but, you know, we, we tend to want to just separate those completely. So there are opportunities here. There are opportunities to lean into, um, you know, if we've been really, really scared away from the subjective, how can we developmentally lean into our emotions, our thoughts, our inner experience, and what will might that bring to what it is we're actually trying to do in our life? If you're trying to, um, if you're trying to make the next discovery in physics, then you've got to stick on the right side, stick in your side, right? But if you're trying to have a meaningful life, you may want to um, see what opportunities are there for growth in the left. Yeah, good good songwriters aren't going to spend much time on the right hand side. Good yeah, songwriters I mean, in some are ways gonna... they will, you know, they're going to use it, right? They're going to know time signatures and they're going to know keys and they're going to you know that's part of the right. But yeah, the inspiration for that, it's going to come from the left. And it, even in the, even in the realm of science, you know, the, the Einsteins of the world did not spend all of their time on the right side. Like if you are just trying to verify what's already there, you're not in the realm of imagination to even come up with a new idea to test. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you actually, the really developed scientists and theoretical physicists are spending quite a bit of time on both quadrants that they're going to come up with their theory on the left and then they're going to test it on the right. And they're not mm -hmm. going to make any truth claims until they've done that. I love that. Good scientists is connecting with both sides. Absolutely. So oh. even in realms that we may not think that it's all part, there's, there is value in integrating these things and, 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 and there's a lot of value in just seeing it. And, and this, is, this is one of the strongest messages I get from Ken Wilber is we don't have to be perfectly balanced in all these maps that we're going to be talking about. But knowing what we're specializing in and understanding what we're doing really helps us <laughs> stay on track mm -hmm. and be successful at whatever it is we're doing. Love it. Okay, so that's quadrants, <clears throat> and we can talk a little bit as we go along it's, um, about how these other ones apply in those quadrants, but the next thing let's look at is the levels and stages, and this is the stuff that is the most well-known, right? This is spiral dynamics that largely came out of the um, research of Claire Graves, um, and then, you know, Ken Wilber, and I can't remember all the people involved, turned it into this that we're seeing here the here it's called altitudes of development some people call it levels some people call it stages some people call it waves it's been it's been um described in many different ways and um this i think is the place where we need the biggest caveat and the biggest level of humility ever because whenever the western mind sees something like this we always think developed is better well, even the name, I mean, altitude. So something's higher right? and something's lower. It's better. And that's yeah. always better. Yeah. Right. And we can't get away from the fact that things develop. We can't get away from the fact that things mm. become more intricate. But we can have a humility to say, these are also just places and lenses through which we um, interpret the world. And when we are a more developed thing has access to maybe more information or more view, a high, a higher view of, 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 uh, of whatever we're seeing. Uh, but it also has 
more of the ability for sickness and for problems in the system. If you have a more complex system, there are more places it can break, right? So a single cell um, is it can be perfectly um, fulfilled and fulfilling the measure of what it was meant to do as a single cell. It can do more when it groups into an organism, but that organism now can also get cancer, right? So I, I, it, there are certain things that a higher developmental level can help with. Like, I think if we, the more we have people at some of these higher levels, we maybe have access to more to make a more equitable society for everybody or, you know, to, to solve some societal problems. But that doesn't mean that an individual who is at any of these stages has any less value, has any less ability to have a fulfilling life. Um, and there's a lot of pathology that comes from these higher, <laughs> these higher stages. And there, sometimes we, we think, oh, I've met a really enlightened person. This person has really done so much work and is spiritually enlightened. And yet they, they may not always be fully developed in all the ways that, that makes them a good teacher or makes them a good uh, guru or whatever. Right. So we have to be really, really careful because we have unrealistic expectations sometimes of people who have higher states of consciousness. Yeah. When I look at this, and this is the part of integral theory that I'm probably most familiar with. Yeah. Because this is this is where I kind of dive in to try to help people understand where they came from and where they're going yep. in terms of the chaos of losing belief and restructuring that. So mm -hmm. in my mind, like at the very bottom, and folks mm -hmm. may have to make it full screen to be able to, to see that. Uh, but at the very bottom, it really starts off with us being kind of selfish, self-centered. Mm -hmm. You know, I always think of babies, you know, when a baby's born, it it cries when it's got a problem. It doesn't give two licks how bad <laughs> of a day it's it's mom or dad had. That's right. And and then it moves into, you know, the family and tribal, mm -hmm. eventually becoming <clears throat> from egocentric to ethnocentric. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you become sort of human-centric, right? You don't value mm -hmm. your tribe over another tribe, mm -hmm. you see their grievances as just as worthwhile to explore as your own. That's right. Where I get sort of lost uh -huh. is when I get away from a stage that I feel really solid in, right? A stage that's um, higher in altitude than where I currently am. So when I get yeah. to these places where it seems to me like people no longer care, they it's just not None of it matters and it's just not as important and I'm going to see value in everything, even the folks who are doing what I know to be wrong. Um, <laughs> any, any thoughts from you, how Absolutely. people cope with seeing people a stage or two or three in front of them? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not going to go through all the stages. There are too many. We don't want to, we, we want to save time for some of this other stuff, but the ones that we typically see, and I think what the ones that we wrestle with the most in our society um, are going to be the amber or traditional, mm -hmm. right? So that's the place where we um, really think that our group is doing it well. We are really in touch with that. 
Um, if you put spirituality or religion, religion through that lens, it becomes our God is our God. It's the way, way we do things. That's what's going to save you kind of language, right? Um, all those other people might be going to hell or be in trouble. Um, there's the orange or the modern. Um, and this is where we, um, you know, the modernists are really heavily leaning on science and that that objectivity <laughs> um, and testable things. Um, Self-reliance, there's a very individualistic thread through this. You'll notice the amber is, is more community-centric. Um, and these tend to go back and forth. There tends to be like the red warrior stage is more individualistic. The amber is more community-centric. The orange is more individual-centric again. And then, then the green and postmodernist is more community-centric again. Um, so individualism is really um, is really valued. And you'll notice that certain things become more of a value at these these other levels. So at, at the green, the postmodernist, now we're, we, we don't like hierarchies. We, we want everything to be done by committee. We've got to look at the needs of everybody who is there. It's more world centric. Um, but there's a, there's a real, Hey, there's a real pathology that comes with all of these. And one of the things that we notice that wherever you land in this, there is a culture war. Sometimes we think the culture war is, is just, you know, right versus left. There's actually a huge culture war between these three things. These three kind of create our culture wars because they they value different things. And so, oh, you're muted. <laughs> Amber, orange, and green. Amber, orange, and green. These we guys, these fighting. guys don't get along. They're no, not going to play they, nice at a party. No, this is cage match here. Three go in, one come out. Right? Like. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to add that they will get a they probably do get along okay with the folks who are higher up only because the folks higher up know how to play nice in the sandbox. So a lot of these ones actually don't. <clears throat> it, 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 we, what we find is that it's getting to the integral levels is the first place where they can really play well with all three. Right. The second tier. It, yeah. It's, it's getting into a second tier consciousness that yeah. is, and, and very few people have a center of gravity there, but I think yeah. a lot of us can cognitively touch it. And yeah. then we can bring it back and try to force ourselves to be nice to the right. other ones. But I, I think when our center gravity is in one of these, we just have an instinct that the other ones are doing it wrong and they're not valuing the things we value. And we have a really, really clear view of their pathologies. Yeah. And we'll see the, the, the big voices in all of these, the really strong voices are, um, are usually really good at pointing out the pathologies of, of, and what they're speaking to is they're speaking to an extreme view of one of those three. They're, they're talking to the ones that are maybe less developed, but then we throw everybody into that group. So Amber, Amber is going to look at orange and green and they are going to be pretty convinced they're going to hell. They're going to be pretty convinced right. that there's, that the things that they're doing are just not right right at the at the the orange level um they are going to really have some critical things to say about the amber people um about being blind followers or being being um you know not uh not taking that message in into your interior and being wise and using science you're going to be science deniers so there's a lot of finger pointing back that way mm -hmm. um and the the Postmodernists are going to look at all of them and think they're doing it wrong and that they're 
they're um, too selfish and they're not thinking about the little guy. And, you know, there's there's a lot of ways that everyone points at everybody else and says you're doing it wrong. And and they're not wrong. Let's be honest. They're actually a lot of them. They're not wrong. We're just taking it to an extreme and putting it through a very judgmental lens. Mm. Right. Like yeah. the if, if if I have a crisis on my hands. I want the green people to show me how to care about it, but I don't want them operationalizing it. They often just get bogged down in committee and don't get anything done. You you want a, an actualized um, orange person to tell you what to do <laughs> to organize it. And you want an amber person to bring all of their community to, to do good. Right. And it's only at the integral levels that we start to see all of that and start to see how we can leverage all of it. Yeah, and the higher up this, uh, and I want to, I don't, I want to call it a hierarchy, but I don't even know if that's yeah. fair because again, all of this yeah. language places order on these. One thing that's been helpful is I look at my three-year-old grandson, who to me is perfect. He's just perfect, and I recognize that he doesn't even comprehend any of this. And wherever he's at, it's certainly somewhere on the lower end of whatever this is. Mm-hmm. And he's not broken or less than or no. inferior in any way. Nope. Yet, as you move up this, again, I'll say hierarchy, as you move up in these altitudes into higher stages, mm-hmm. you begin to sense, feel into, and utilize an awareness that all life in the universe is interconnected. That's right. And it goes from being sort of sensible to that, to realizing like it's really just one organism. It's, I think maybe I've said this in a conversation with you before, but if, if one of our red blood cells could talk and it would, it would see itself as separate from the body. It's just in the universe of the body doing its thing. Mm -hmm. But we, with this 20,000 foot view, recognize that the red blood cell is part of the body in the same way that you like to think you're separate Mm -hmm. But in reality, the universe is this life form that because of consciousness, we see ourselves as separate, but we really are it. And yes. moving from separateness to seeing we are all one mm-hmm. is sort of the trajectory of this as you move up in stages. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. 100%. And, and we'll talk about this as we go on. I think if we do a couple of the other maps, mm. we can start to put all that together, but mm-hmm. that it's the, it's that idea. I love that um, analogy of the red blood cell. And another one would be a, a singular wave in the ocean, right? Um, it's, it's being a singular wave and suddenly recognizing that you're also ocean that you're part of all the, the all of the other waves. It's rec- rec- recognizing your nature is that you're wet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And states of consciousness can be really helpful in help it, helping us achieve those and to achieve um, movement within the development. And we'll talk about that um, when we kind of introduce states. So. Love it. Um, so let's move on to lines. So lines of development are kind of, um, sometimes easier to access even than the stages, but it's it's recognizing that there there are all kinds of different lines. Um, we have a moral line, a spiritual line, an emotional line, and a somatic line, an interpersonal line. You know, there have been maybe a couple of dozen of these that have been maybe um, looked at as separate lines. You can have a mathematical line or a musical line, 
right? Not everybody develops all of these and develops them equally. No one can't, no one has ever developed all of these lines perfectly. And this is one of the reasons you see like spiritual leaders tend to be really high on the spiritual line, but they may not all be really great in the interpersonal line. They may have some problems. They may be really developed in the upper left. Like spiritual development is an upper left competency. But if you aren't really strong in the lower left, you can do a lot of damage. You know, if your moral line is is low, <laughs> that's a problem. And a lot of these lines of development, certain combinations of them can be inherently problematic. Like if you have a if you have a society that has a high technical line or technological line and a low, low moral line, that causes all kinds of problems. When someone who, in a moral way, and what we mean by that, the moral line, so lower lines of moral development would only, would be very selfish. It would just be what's good for me. Uh, mid range, it's what's, what's, we start to notice what's good for us. And in the highest levels of morality, we are, we are really, really valuing all of it and um, thinking in more complex ways. But if you have a really low moral line and a really high technological line, you might get Hitler, mm. you know, or you might get people who wield a lot of damage um, because they can't take in the, the full value of other people. So, mm. um, so different, um, people who have done work in this, like we're, we're familiar here with Fowler's stages of faith, right? That was the spiritual line in particular that Fowler was looking at, right? Uh, Maslow was looking at a needs line and, um, you know, Lovinger looking at ego development. Um, Carol Gilligan was looking at women's attitudes about life and things and what they all find. And this is what you see in these, um, this, that we're looking at is you can lay them next to each other and you can pretty much line them up and say, Oh, this is how Fowler lays onto spiral dynamics. And you can see how they all kind of have similar characteristics. They're just describing a different line of development. So this is another way to look at it. And this is the way I use it in coaching is what, what is it that a person is wanting to do in their life? What are you trying to achieve? What's the, What's the desire of your heart? Well, what lines of development do are required for that thing, for competency in it? And where am I in those lines of development? And where are there opportunities for me to develop my particular lines to help do the thing that it is I want to do? Yeah. I when I when I look at this, I think it is really helpful to see these different mm -hmm. uh modalities. Maybe that's not the right word either, but modalities of of folks who have delved into these stages or lines of development. Mm -hmm. And like you say, you put them next to each other, you can uh, sense kind of the overlap. They're all speaking to some truth. Mm -hmm. uh, this idea that we start off life being given stories that aren't really based uh, in the objective, like, you know, for instance, uh, the magic and kin spirits, like that's noticed there in Graves Values, uh, pre-operational uh, mm -hmm. over at Piaget. Um, as I look at all of these, as you move up, I'm sorry, I'm going to struggle with this because there's always this language that's always going to be a hindrance to the audience. As you yes. move up in the ages, 
Yeah. You start to sense the world as it really is. And then you sort of move back into a magical stage again, where you look past all the stories that we put on all these things. Mm -hmm. And again, recognize that we're all one doing this, like this, this universal breath that's just moving. Uh, yes. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. So there are these, these um, qualities of it, right? So Carol Gilligan described um, three stages and there are stage two stages within each of these groupings, but it's, it's the selfish to care to universal care. So uh, she did research where she would ask people's attitudes. And I find this really interesting. If you want to really understand how people do developmental psychology in these studies, this is one way she would ask these women a question about how, what's, you know, what do you think about abortion? Should a woman be able to have an abortion whenever they want? Right. And they, she would find that over, she would do longitudinal studies. So she'd ask that question and then ask it again in several years and again and again. And what she found is that people would either stay at the same answer that they gave the first time, or they would move, but their answers would go in a developmental fashion. If someone in, um, was, was speaking from a universal care place, they didn't go back and give the selfish answer. So, right. and, and the examples of that would be a woman should be able to have an abortion anytime, any place. Absolutely. No, no question. The, the middle one was, um, now we have to actually care about, uh, the, the fetus. We have to care about other things. Um, but, but we really, really need to just follow the law and what God tells us. And so absolutely no. Yeah. And, and then it gets complex. You'll notice that the higher levels, morality, ethics, all gets complex, and we have to actually care about both. Yeah, and and where I think we would, I think you would acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but that mm -hmm. I think most of the population falls into that amber through green, absolutely spot. Okay, so so that. then when I look over, kind of a little bit right of center, mm -hmm. I think this is where it maybe makes the most sense to our audience. But you have, for instance, like impulsive. We understand mm -hmm. when somebody really takes care of themselves completely at the expense of everyone around them. Right. Absolutely. And then kind of a little bit better stage of self-protective where there's decisions made, but my needs are more important than your needs. So I'm mm -hmm. happy to have your needs met, but if there's ever a conflict between my needs and your needs, yep. I'm going to take it's care of me. It's going to be me. Yep. And, and then the conformist is valuing the tribe, valuing mm -hmm. the group loyalty, the group, uh, uh, collaboration, the, the group loyalty, costly mm -hmm. signaling to each other. Mm -hmm. The conformist is going to go, well, I understand there's different groups of people, but my group's needs are more important than everyone right. else's. And so yeah. they'll make their decisions that way. And so you can understand why a self-protect, a person at the self-protective stage would carry out their life in a way that pisses off the conformist mm -hmm. and the conscientious person. Mm -hmm. And and vice versa, by the way, the yep. all three of those groups, you can see why they won't get along with each other. Yep. One is sensing that, you know what, I'm I'm white, but I can see the atrocities that have happened on the black community. Mm -hmm. And I can see how systemic racism isn't a healthy way to treat people. Mm -hmm. But somebody who's in the conformist stage or the self-protective stage mm -hmm. will have some sort of internal conflict 
when they sense me wanting to reach beyond mm -hmm. family, self, or tribal boundaries to extend love and care and compassion to that group. Yep. Yeah, I just want to know that because people can connect well, that way. A hundred percent. And I also think we have to be be careful in the in that conversation because often people can look at this and you can start saying, well, Democrats are more green and the Republicans yeah. are lower stages. There's there can be so much pathology in all of this. Mm -hmm. Like there can be universal care coming from uh it, you know, someone who is in an amber structure, for instance. Like we have to be really careful about how we see other people. And it's so complex that we can't pigeonhole anybody. And you know, that the whole like self-protection thing, that's also part of being human. And it's a line of development. There is a line of development where we learn to work through our discomfort and be able to do our shadow work and to see what's going on inside us. Because there are people, um, Ken actually has a whole essays you can look up about the mean green is what he calls it. <laughs> mean green people, right? Because they're not taking in, they, 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 in this theoretical thing, they are taking in the systemic issues. They're taking in problematic things and seeing where they situate in it. And they're wanting to do what's, what's good within that. But if you haven't done your shadow work, when push comes to shove, you're, you're not going to be doing that kind of work very well. You're still going to be self-protecting, right? Yeah. Your consciousness it, it, can take all in all of that, but your inner work isn't such that you can actually act it out. So I care about the black community, but I'm going to stay living in my upper, uh, you know, level of income yeah. in this way and just, you know, shout at everybody who's not doing it right. There's privilege and I want everyone to be equal and fair, mm -hmm. but I don't want to sacrifice my privilege to get them there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it should be noted, you know, we did a, I did a introductory conversation around IFS a week or two ago, and mm -hmm. you and I are going to follow up uh, and have a group mm -hmm. discussion on IFS mm -hmm. and get a little deeper into it in another mm -hmm. uh, week or so here. And what I've, what I would notice if people who have listened to that one, what I've noticed is if I go in my head and talk to my parts, my parts are in different levels of consciousness. So mm -hmm. the part of me that wants the world to be fair yeah. is it one of these colors? Yes. And the part of me that wants to uh wants to make sure that I get the biggest half of the hamburger <laughs> is in a different That's right. You know, so That's none right. of us should look at this and place ourselves in a color, although we all tend to do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rather you ought to recognize that there are parts of you probably at least in four or five of these mm -hmm. at a minimum. And Absolutely. maybe there's parts of you from the very bottom to the top. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one of the concepts that Ken Wilber talks about is the ascending and the descending. He, he notices this in religions, like the, the really ancient religions were more earth centric. You know, they were, they were, um, you know, just really noticing the material and, you know, this is paganism and nature worship, you know, where we're really connected to this gross realm. Right. Um, he, he calls those the descending um, and then there's the ascending ones, which is most of the ones we know are trying to escape this earth and we've made the body bad and we've made, you know, we're trying to transcend everything. Right. 
And a more integral view is how do we combine those? It's like the integral view starts to say, what is really, really good about this? You know, uh, there could be a mean green person who is actually doing less good in the world, even though conceptually in their consciousness, they are seeing more. But that amber person from um, a place of like, we just really need to help help people. They're not the same as me. I may not be doing it from a place of solidarity. I'm doing it place, from a place of service and oh, you poor person. But they're doing really good things. Yeah. In, from that space. So it's one of the ways that we start to break down the judgment of one another is just seeing that different people are doing it from, from where they are and good resides in every single one of these and pathology. Yeah. Each, exists. each, uh, each part of this, uh, mm -hmm. each level of this brings certain <laughs> gifts to the table and weaknesses, right. of course, but, but right. certain gifts to the table. And, you know, Britt here asked the question, is development more inherent mm. or privileged? And I, mm -hmm. her and I did an episode on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And there is, there is, I think there's several truths here. So I want to not impose one mm -hmm. as being mm -hmm. absolute. But mm -hmm. one truth is that if somebody is fighting daily for safety and security, they're probably never going to move into the higher stages. Yep. And a competing truth with that is that if you have the ability to sit present mm -hmm. with suffering in the world, including your own, mm -hmm. you also then increase your chance of probably moving into higher stages. 100%. Yeah. You know, in, in a lot of ways, the marginalized have that because the higher stages are defined by higher compassion and, and, and hard things bring that when you sit in that you, you, you gain a bigger view of the world. So it, it is both. Um, we also know that the younger generation gets a free ride up to wherever their parents are and their society is. Mm. So, you know, there's privilege in that <laughs> there's privilege yeah. in who your parents are, you know? And yeah, I mean, if you are in, uh, if you live, reside, enjoy space in a place where you have educational opportunities, my mom took me to the city library every week or two and we got, or brought books home and we read them. And, mm -hmm. and there are other places in the world where to have a book would be unheard of almost. Mm -hmm. And to recognize that our exposure mm -hmm. to people, ideas, differences, concept, all of it mm -hmm. is a catalyst for our ability to hold space for all of that, which then moves us generally up along these levels. Absolutely. And you know, we also have to say, have to recognize that the ways we judge where we are, where other people are in this is also very informed by the values of our society. Mm -hmm. So in America, we love, I mean, we, we love success. We love the cognitive line. <laughs> we love, you know, these people who are really doing really well in all of their lines and the ones that we see that are just so high. And we don't always see the ways that this person is actually extremely high on the interpersonal line and that that is bringing a certain value that isn't monetized in our capitalistic society. Right. Mm, yeah. So, so it's, we have to be really careful about what we even see as development. You know, some people yeah. are really highly developed in ways we don't see or value. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard sometimes for mm -hmm. me to appreciate mm -hmm a person who brings really serious gifts to the table, but is in a different color than me. 
That's right. Because I'm, I, I'm automatically on the front end, assuming the, the worst in them because they're not valuing the world the way I am. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think um, it's not until we get to these really deeply spiritual spaces that the capacity for spirituality actually goes up. Um, you know, the lower ones can be really good at religiosity, but capacity for spirituality goes up, which means we're less identified with this body. We're more identified with something transcendent and divine. Um, and sometimes it takes that to get past all of our ego defense instincts um, that keep us with that view of others that isn't really quite so good. Because mm. when we're letting our ego defenses run, we are in a place, this is how we have evolved as people. We are always wired to look for the threat. Mm. And it's not until we disidentify more with this body that we recognize that there's a piece of us that is safe from all that threat. Mm. And then we're, yeah. we're more able to connect with other people. Yeah. Again, I don't want to go off in tangents, but connecting back to IFS, mm -hmm. one of the moments was I had an ability to sort of see all my parts at once. Not that I mm -hmm. saw them all specifically, but I could just mm -hmm. see the room full of people. Right. And recognizing that when you, when you really get grounded, you are just the observer who is now taking in the perspective needs, wants, motivations of all your parts and you get to make the wise decision. And that piece of you isn't attached to any of them and their needs or their reasoning or their shame. And they carry different traumas. And you don't have any. You're just the observer who's watched it all happen. And yes. they were the ones who took the hit in order to protect you. Anyway, way off track. Absolutely. But no, this is really the, good it, stuff. You know, it actually is great. And it leads right into the next thing of states, right? Because um, the it's, it's states of consciousness that help us start to recognize what you're pointing to. And this is where I really start to geek out, right? It's, I love wisdom tradition. I love perennial tradition. I love seeing where they all agree. And I get even more excited as that starts emerging in secular psychology, in secular science, where we're pointing to something. And IFS really, really does talk about this, um, where it connects to wisdom mm -hmm. tradition. I mean, you and I have had discussions on this program about Buddha nature. And, mm -hmm. you know, in Christianity, we may call it the true self or whatever. But this is what we're tapping into when we're talking about states of consciousness. So states of consciousness can be a really fraught conversation. And I'll tell you why. When you are really identified with the gross. So that's the that's one of the states of consciousness. You can see them here. There's gross, subtle, causal, non-dual. Um, anything beyond the gross is going to sound super woo-woo to you. What do like you mean by gross, by the way? What, is, what does that mean? Okay. So gross is, and this is, this is probably one of the most accessible ways to start thinking about these things. Um, the gross is the material world. It's, it's what we're aware of, what we can see, touch, hear, feel. That's like the waking world, right? We're in a state of conscious where I'm awake and I am aware of the objects in the room. The subtle realm is more like the dream world. 
So it's not the material. When you are dreaming, you are not aware of the material world. You're having vision. You're, you're aware of energies. Um, you know, you're aware this is the realm of thought, emotion. Those are subtle energies that you cannot touch and feel in the gross realm. The causal is similar to deep sleep, right? Like there's no consciousness, there's no material, there's no visions. There just is isness. This is this is the place of the witness. And many who do kind of meditation will recognize that this is one of the reasons we meditate is to get in touch with the witness. And it's, you were touching on it in what you were just talking about with IFS, Bill, which is what is that entity that is looking at all your parts? What is the entity that can notice what's going on in my body? What is that entity that can notice my thoughts? And it's not in the realm of any kind of awaking experience where you can touch and feel things and it's not in a vision state it's a state where there is nothing but consciousness yeah what existed before the big bang i don't know you know like before things become thought before things become consciousness it's that state and and people who and this is where it starts to feel super woo woo and we start to go I don't know what the crap you're talking about because we live in a rational society that wants to stay in the gross verifiable, you know, we don't want to lean into other people's visions because if we're looking at an upper right quadrant, we don't know, is this person having a schizophrenic break or is this person having a transpersonal experience? Is this person having a transrational experience? Um, or are we talking about, woo -woo? oops, are we talking about woo woo? Like, I don't know, something we don't want to, we don't want to believe in that, you know, just the mythic, magical, whatever. So this is where it gets really hard. And when you start listening to Ken Wilber in this, in this, he starts to lose people really quickly, especially those who haven't done this kind of deep spiritual work. You talk to someone who's been meditating for 30 years and they're like, oh yeah, let me tell you what each of these tastes like. But when you get into like a causal and non-dual realm, there are no words. There, there are no words to describe what it is. You you do have to experience it. And then it's something you can't explain. Yeah. And so. like you, I fear that people will sense like, okay, that now, now we're in the place of tarot cards and, <laughs> exactly. and uh, Reiki or, you know. Yes. And on some level we are, but not in the mm -hmm. way they think. Right. So that's right. I, so, I would just, I would only suggest that folks notice that the experts in not necessarily this field, but uh -huh. all the fields that deal with development are always talking about non-duality. And if you're a listener and you're going like, I'm sort of lost here, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But recognize that, that the experts in the arena, not just folks who follow Ken Wilber are pointing us to these same things. And there is, a truth here, even if in your limited understanding at this moment, that doesn't make sense. There's mm -hmm. nobody here is asking for you to invest in a new guru That's or, right. um, or join another church. That's right. Rather, we're talking about how we think about the world and how our ability to think about the world moves, shifts and change in a certain order. And it might be easier to look behind you and go, Oh yeah, I can remember when I was, very self-centered. Oh, I can remember when I was family centered. Oh, I can remember when I was 
egocentric and now ethnocentric and now I'm world centric and I value and you can go like, okay, I can see the path behind me, mm-hmm. recognize that there are additional steps in front of you, but because you haven't experienced it yet, they are to you in this moment blind spots. Right. Absolutely. And and um so it's important also to notice that all of these actually do have some studies behind them. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that they study and we can actually see on EEG what is going on in these states of consciousness is that the different kind of brain waves that come from it, you know, whether it's the the theta wave is usually the, is the subtle the causal wave comes in a delta wave and you know there's actually a video out there circulating of ken wilbur himself he says it was very rudimentary it was not meant to be some big scientific thing it was just kind of like an interesting thing that he can do is that he he's such a uh practice meditator that he can put himself into those different theta waves and delta waves it being conscious intentionally so So he can just he can tell you he's changing it and now the the yes the the technology shows that it has changed. Correct. Yeah. And I know that on this show that you guys have talked about psychedelics. Psychedelics is another way to get into these states, right? And um, and those brain waves will show up there. And under fMRI, um, and a meditator in deep deep causal meditation is going to show up looking very similar to somebody who is experiencing a psychedelic experience because different parts of their brain are firing. So in those ways, we can, these are tested. They feel woo woo, but you have to talk to the people because there aren't a ton of people who can do that, who can just put themselves in that, in that state. It's a small number. And so the question for me becomes, well, why is this even helpful? (laughs) If it's only a few people on earth who can even get to these stages, right? And there are these states. What they find is that when people are able to go to these states, they are actually having an experience of being at these higher stages and they are accessible at every single stage. You can be at an archaic stage and have a non-dual experience if you are in the right state of consciousness. They are fleeting, typically, and what actually defines some of the higher stages of consciousness is a more permanent access to the states of consciousness. So practicing states of consciousness, practicing meditation actually is, meditation is the only proven way that we know that has been tested to move up quickly in development in the stages. So there is something very powerful about the states of consciousness. And the second thing to note is that, yes, anyone at any level in a very selfish place can have a God experience but it's going to be interpreted through the stage of consciousness, the level of consciousness that they had access to. So if someone has a God experience and you're at the Amber level, that's when you're going to be like, Oh yeah, of course God's there. God loves my people and not yours. I think an example that comes to mind is, so let's take Christianity for instance, when, when somebody says, you know, the Christ is within us or God is, we are gods, right? There's that scripture. On one end, somebody higher in, in in these stages of development would recognize like, oh, what what is being taught there is the eternal truth that we are all interconnected. And because the universe is expressing itself as my version of human for a little while, yes. I am the universe, hence I am God, right? Yes. 
And, yes. and yet, if somebody's at a lower stage, they're going, well, what it means is that if you read this verse and this Bible, and it means this, and our, you know, here you got to have the right rituals at the right moment. It, it really, um, again, language fails. It, it really is a matter of people coming to a shared space where one per person is adamant that the narrative they've been given is absolutely true. That's right. And the other person recognizes that it's all myth. That's right. And, and hence the meaning is more mystical. Whereas the other one is taking it really from more of a literal narrative mm -hmm. equals has to equal this for us to get to heaven. Yep. And that difference makes it really complicated mm -hmm. when so for it's why the word God, for instance, is such loaded language. Mm -hmm. Because when you say God or I say God, we we don't even agree. And at least on this level, I sort of go like, I think I know what she means. And yeah. you go, I think I, I think I know what he means. <laughs> yeah. But if we sit down with uh, a Baptist or a Methodist or a Mormon or yes. a member of Islam who's really orthodox in their tradition, mm -hmm. they're going to not be anywhere close to what we're talking about. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And so some of the things that we find are that the, the people who are in more of this contemplative state space and have had more of these states of consciousness and experienced what it is to transcend the self, they're going to be speaking to each other and making more sense to each other from different traditions than the people in the um, orthodox level of the traditions themselves. I also see a deep flaw with language in these. In other words, mm -hmm. The word gross, I understand it in terms of math. I understand it in terms of yeah. being disgusting. <laughs> Subtle, I sort of understand. Causal, I understand. Non-dual, yeah. I don't. Yeah. And when you try to pose these words to somebody and say, hey, this is, I'm trying to, I'm trying to share something with you. Yeah. Every one of these almost needs either a new word or a in-depth explanation. Otherwise, you look at this and it's just words that aren't exactly being used the way you're used to them being used. That's right. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it, it is. It's one of the barriers. Language is always a barrier. And um, language fails, especially when we get to non-dual. But non-dual, the best way to point to non-dual is that it's the integral level of all of these states, right? It's it's when we we are not, we we can combine all of them. We are in touch with, with the, the, the oneness of whatever consciousness is there without the material or without the vision. And, but it includes all of that and notices all that it is arising in all of these yeah. levels. At it's all, all times. true. It's all false. It's all right. It's all wrong. And, and it's right. none of those things at the same time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the minute we try to put a word to it, words, we have to, our brains, the way it works is it's comparing it in ways to its opposite and whatever. So that's why the minute you start to describe it, you've lost the non-dual. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another facet, but <laughs> the greatest wisdom teachers around us seem to tiptoe around the edges of it. Mm -hmm. And as you just said, the moment you apply definitive terms, labels, interpretations, and definitions, you are exposing yourself as being further away from it than the people who were just approaching it from the edges. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. 
Okay, so let's let's move on to types. Then I want to sum up with kind of another framing that that Ken Wilber has. It's separate from his lenses, but it's something he's been talking about in recent years that I think is really really helpful when it starts when when it comes to our individual journeys and saying, okay, how does this how does this all work? But I don't have a, a visual for the types. We don't have a, a visual for that. But types is probably the one we're all the most used to understanding. So this can be in the form of it's just description of ways of being in the world. So um, people can use Myers-Briggs as a type. Um, Enneagram can be a typing system. Um, looking at masculine and feminine energies, those can be types that we can look at. Uh, astrology can be a type. You know, any any system that kind of tries to uh, describe the different ways of and of personality traits and ways of, of showing up in the world. Um, and, you know, people are just fascinated with types. Like they're so fun. Like when, whenever someone brings a new type, okay, we're going to do the disc. Which one am I? You know, which one are you? And where they can be really helpful, I find, is in two ways. One is in just personal development and seeing um, the places where traumas and and uh, difficulties in our life show up and how that affects us and how we we try to to um, adjust for that in our goodness in the world and and uh, all all the ways this is like they they're useful tools to point to the ways that we need to heal they're also really helpful in languaging all of these are you know if you're talking to somebody in a different stage of development you need to use different words right? Someone in one stage of development is not going to understand God is the same thing or whatever. And this, this is why it's so hard to meet. Like it takes such a deep conversation, Bill, for you and me and, you know, throw different people into the mix that are believers, that are atheists, that are whatever. Man, we have to, we're all having a common experience as humans, but boy, it takes a long time for us to really point to what that is, right? But types can help. It can help us um, to uh, to figure out, like, I, I've, a lot of people will do Enneagram and they'll do it with them and their partner and then look at them and go, oh, well, now I understand what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. And I don't have to take it personally, right? So um, types come in and just help us do that inner journey. So they, they really help quite a bit with the upper uh, left and the lower left kind of ways of being in the world. Yeah. And I think it does, again, not that um, anyone should put all their eggs in one of these personality tests mm-hmm. or whatnot, but mm-hmm. I, but there is truth to them. So taking the Enneagram, for instance, mm-hmm. being an eight on the Enneagram, uh, sort of justice warrior, right? I'm, I'm <laughs> going to butt heads with anybody who's personality values something that competes with my need to make the world fair. That's right. And if I can go into a shared space, because all of these have done them, I'm going to throw these back up for just a moment here. Let me, um, yeah. this was the last one, which kind of throws them all together, but that's going to be it a little does. confusing. We'll show that at the yeah. end, yeah. but I'll just run through these really quick. If you yeah. understand where you're at on that, mm-hmm. and if you understand where you're at on that, yep. And that, and that, and that, right? (laughs) And if you understand where you're coming from and where all the people around you are coming from, and maybe your biggest blind spot is recognizing that there 
are parts of you that are also in the places that are the represent the people that you also bump into. Yes. <laughs> you can start to work your way through the world in a much more compassionate way mm-hmm. that recognizes your values are often getting in the way of your best, healthiest self. Mm-hmm. And it really is what this is all about. Integral theory is helping you to understand your blind spots and where other folks are so that you can come to any moment being much more wise and present, mm-hmm. compassionate and uh, effective. Yeah. If, if me knowing that I'm coming from one place can meet somebody who's in a different place and can leave room for it to be different to it, for it to be good, bad, beautiful, ugly, all of the things in between and have the humility to really step into their reality. You know, Ken talks about meditation being the only way that we know is proven to move up in categories. But I think being a very humble, curious human being can also be a way of doing that. It's a way of accessing that there is a world outside the world that I'm experiencing and it can help us in be inspired to um, what might be available in the road ahead of us. It can also help us be inspired by wherever this other person is and there's wisdom in what they're seeing. There's goodness mm-hmm. and wisdom everywhere. And I think the, that's, that's the move. We start to take in more and more and more our consciousness expands. So if I were a betting woman, I think that we could do studies on that. And I think I would guess that we would find that someone who is deep in conversation and listening also has greater access to development. Yeah. I, I would want, before we end the conversation, mm-hmm. I would want any thoughts from you on if people are going like, look, I, I could relate to some of this. Yeah. Some of this seemed almost not real to me. <laughs> yes. Is there a place where people could go? My, because my fear is having spent some time with Ken Wilber's materials, there are moments where we talked about this off the air yeah, a yeah. day or two ago, but yeah. there are moments where Ken is trying to explain how he's these things. And I'm just, yes. it's like, it Lost. feels, yeah. it feels like someone's trying to convince me that astrology is absolutely the, the, the truest thing ever. Right. Absolutely. And then there's other times where I'm like, no, I get it. Like, I understand what he's saying. This yeah. is legitimate. Yeah. Is there a place people could go to get, a more basic, easy to understand introduction uh, to this if they want to take our conversation further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my 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 favorite place for this, because Ken Wilber's books are so thick. They are they're so they're not always approachable. Uh, but he did a conversation um with Sounds True, and I know it's available on Audible. But it's a conversation, the name of it is Cosmic Consciousness, and it's cosmic with a K. Because for him, that includes everything, even the non-dual realm, where cosmic with a C is just the material realm. So that's what that's all about. Uh, But they have really interesting conversations, and it gets pretty thick by the end. But, um, But he explains more and goes more into these, uh, this map, and why he's using it. But it does, it gets really, really, I mean, it's kind of like Enneagram the first time you hear Enneagram even, like it's so complex. And and that that's the downside of some of these models. Like again, if we're gonna, 
if we're going to really accurately describe reality, I mean, maps fail. <laughs> maps fail. You have to have a map big enough for reality. There isn't one, right? But it does distill down. And the more you hear it, the more it makes sense. The, I would recommend like listening to this, let it sit for like a year, notice some things that go on and then listen to it again. And you'll be like, oh, okay, that actually makes a little more sense what he was saying. And he's not trying to convince, he actually talks about astrology and I think it was really interesting. So just as an example, he talks about a study that was done uh, for, for people who use astrology and they tried to make it as fair a test as possible. So they asked them, like, is this a fair test? Is this a fair question to test your abilities? And the, the astrologist would, they only picked the ones that the astrologist said, yes, this is fair. This, this I can do. And then after they gave them the test, they would say, do you believe that you did well on this test? And they would only include the things that they felt like they really did well. And he, he describes this test that they did of 300 different people. And all 300 failed at predictability of something that was going to happen. Mm. And this, and this is where his maps can be helpful. He's like on the, on the right side of, of the quadrants objectivity, it objectively fails. And there's no question of that. Every test that's been done, it objectively fails. But on the left side, astrology, it, we can't exclude it if it is a thing that has been very meaningful to a huge number of people. So what is that? How is that helping with the meaning making? We don't have to exclude swaths of things just because they fail on the right side. But if we are a very rational person, that's all we care about. We're just going to say it's all poppycock. No point. Yeah, I was just posting in the comments, folks, if you're listening mm -hmm. live, and I will put this in the show notes so that folks can find it if they're listening. Obviously, most listeners come after we've done it live. Uh, they'll have both the audible version and the sounds true version of Cosmic Consciousness, the link to, to get that. Um, yeah. Understanding stages of development, which is really only one phase of this whole thing of spiral dynamics. I, yep. The only thing I would want to add here maybe at the end is the reason it's called spiral dynamics, and I don't, the, the picture I had there doesn't show it, but I've seen pictures mm. where it is a spiral. Yeah. And yes. it is the idea that even as you said, like, read the book, wait a year, read it again. <laughs> it's this idea that we constantly keep revisiting things in our life. But when we come to the same issue, we come to it from a different perspective. Absolutely. And now we're thinking about it again, but in a slightly new way. And as we do that over and over and over again, um, we just got done reading for our book club, uh, the Anthropocene, John Green maybe is the author. Mm. And it's it's a conversation where he, he notes at the beginning, this book is about things that I was paying attention to what I was paying attention to. Mm -hmm. and And when you get more intentional about watching the world unfold in front of you, you'll start noticing things that you've run into before, but now it's slightly different and you are constantly being given, I think, beautiful opportunities to learn from these moments over and over again and to sense your own shifting as you come back to a common theme or element that happens in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it is important to, to note that. And it's, and none of it is linear. It's all messy. We all have, they call them children in the basement, <laughs> where we're really low on a certain line of development. You know, this is, this is lifelong work. It never ends. 
and um, and piecing it apart is really hard. And that this is this is I I think it covers the idea of spirituality well. Every time someone asks me to define spirituality, I do it differently because it it's a hard thing to pin down. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think so many people tie it to some idea of God. I don't think it needs to be. Um, and but I do love this last little thing, and this is this is just something Ken has been talking about in the last few years, and I think it's where the rubber hits the road of what can I do for my own spirituality, and all the different ways that that we deal with spirituality, whether it's figuring out our own ideas and values and identities, what we identify with, who we do it with, how we connect to the world, how we connect to the ineffable, how we connect to all the experience of what it is to be human. The inner journey, I, I include all of that in spirituality because I think it all affects it. But I love these dimensions that Ken talks about. He talks about growing up, cleaning up, waking up, and showing up. And these are four different dimensions of our spiritual life or mm. our human life, right? So growing up is growing up through the stages, right? It's how do I take in more, learn more, be aware of more, Um we've talked about ways to do that. Cleaning up, I think, is a really interesting one because I think that we have taken cleaning up in um, ways that have been kind of damaging, actually, in our religions. You know, we think of cleaning up as purity culture and those kinds of things that can be really difficult. But what he talks about in cleaning up is that cleaning up is about excavating the shadow. It's about excavating the things inside us that places where we're lying to ourselves, places where we are not truthful with ourselves about what we are. Um, And that is really worthwhile. That can be done through meditation, through therapy, through types. This is like the work in the upper left Mm. quadrant. And that's cleaning up. The the more I can show up clean, the more I can have compassion for you. Mm. Right? So, Richard Rohr has said this, and I love it. He says, in Western Christianity, we went after the wrong thing. We went after the shadow, not the ego. And unfortunately, the way we show up in it often solidifies the ego and vilifies the shadow rather than integrating the shadow and breaking down the ego. Mm. So, and I think that's a way that we've mistaken. That's where it shows up in the cleaning up. We've gone after shadow called it sin and we've separated ourselves from it and we don't want to see it in ourselves. And that turns into purity culture rather than seeing it, integrating it, loving our humanity and, uh, and understanding ourselves. And yeah, I'm relating to that again, IFS work. I'm relating to the idea that you, you blame the protectors. Yes. When in reality, you got to figure out why the protectors do what they do. And it often goes back to some other moment where things weren't right. And your ego has done something with that from that point forward. And if you just blame the protector and go like, I just got to stop doing this thing I do, you you never get to the underlying work that really does Mm -hmm. get you to a healthier place. I I 100% agree. Right. IFS is a great, it is one great modality for internal integration and for looking at shadow. So, and then waking up is experiencing different states of consciousness and there are different Mm. ways to do that. So that seems to be really, really helpful in moving us along and disidentify from this pain body that we're in and become something bigger and then showing up. And I love this because 
this is a, this is like we're not meant to be gurus that can reach high states of consciousness and sit on a mountain and be separate from the world. How do we show up when we're cleaner, when we're grown, when we're waking up and actually do something good in the world? How do we show up for one another? Mm. And I just love seeing these four things as as really important ways of integrating our spirituality and feeling a more meaningful, fulfilled life. Mm, yeah these are tools and i hope folks will sense that there is real usefulness here and start exploring this this yes. of all the things that have been exciting in my life mm -hmm. the things connected to cognitive development have probably been the most exciting things in my life yeah, absolutely. And cognitive is a really important line. In a lot of ways, cognitive leads the pack. You have to understand something that we can understand something from a book and it's not actualized until we get it in our bones. And, yeah. and in, in order to move the cognitive into other lines, it takes some of these other practices. And by the way, you're hitting what I'm trying to get at, which is yep. I'm not saying that just thinking about yes. uh, smart things is exciting. Yes. I'm saying that putting smart things in here has allowed me to lean into sensing me differently and yes. to start showing up in the world differently. Yes. Um, yeah. So anyway, absolutely I, beautiful. Um, anything else from you, Jana? Uh, no, I think that pretty much covers it. Like I said, we could do a, a, a we could do a 10 week seminar <laughs> on yeah. everything that comes up in that, but it gives people a taste. And if it's something that interests you, look into it and, yeah. And, and I agree, Bill. I just also just want to reiterate that this is not the new one true way. It's not the one true map. It is Ken Wilber doesn't have it all figured out, but no. um, but it's it's one tool. It's one yeah. way to go. Yeah. And folks, if you look down below, if you're watching this on YouTube, right down below, uh, you can click the little synopsis of the episode. In there is links that will take you to articles written about integral mm -hmm. theory or spiral dynamics. There's also the two links for the uh, sound true. Is that what we, is that what the site was? Sounds true. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sounds true. And then also audible where you can get the book cosmic consciousness. And I think you'll start to sense as we go back to, uh, the conversation that Britt and I had on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, as we mm -hmm. fast forward to the conversation we're about to have on IFS in a week or two, mm -hmm. um, folks will start to sense that when we are talking about the mind and some of the tools that are in these arenas, they are all interconnected. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a sort of broad truth that's kind of saturated in all of these. And I hope folks that yep. you'll find these conversations helpful to you showing up in a healthier way. Yeah. And I, I will just say one other last thing is people start to go out there and look into integral stuff. There are a lot of people doing great things with integral. There are a lot of pages. There, there are groups that people start to practice this stuff. And as with every group and institution, yeah. pathologies show up. And it's just in a particular way that the people who are drawn to integral are typically at certain stages and certain places yeah. and pathologies show up. So again, I just always say, just be on your guard and don't lose yourself in any of this, right? Take what is yours and leave what is not. The gurus inside of you. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Jana. Thank you. Everybody visit almostawaken.org. Click the donate button. Send us a few bucks. Uh, Jana's going to spend the summer with us, and we'd like to 
uh, ensure that on some level that we reward her for her hard work in preparing these episodes and putting this work together. So please, a even just a small donation of five bucks, or if you can afford to do five or 10 bucks a month as a recurring donation, much appreciated. Uh, almostawakened.org. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, really excited uh, to spend the summer with you, Jana, and uh, have the chance to go into some things that deeply interest you that I also love. Awesome. So cool. Have a great day, everybody. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director 